Good evening. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm Kimberly Rodriguez, Um, and it's an honor to be here with you tonight. Um, Let's open up in some prayer. Father, I just thank you for your living and powerful word. I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts. I pray that your word would transform our lives. I pray that your word, I thank you that your word does not return void, but it accomplishes the purposes for which you sent it forth. And so I pray tonight, Father, that your word would go deep into our hearts and that it would produce a great harvest in our souls. And I pray, Father, right now in Jesus' name, that you would give us your heart for the lost, you would give us your heart for the kingdom, You would give us your heart for the things that you want us to have your heart for. So I just thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for your people. I thank you for the church. And I pray, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done here in Camarillo as it is in heaven. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I got to tell you, I just came back from, um, from the Philippines, and the young people in the Philippines are on fire. They dance, and they sing, and they worship, and they cry, and it's so beautiful to see God raising up a young generation, not only in the Philippines, but even here in the U.S. There's a lot of young people um, that God is raising up, and so it's, we're living in super exciting times, and Today, um, as we go through his word, I just, I want to mainly, there's several points that we're going to talk about tonight, but there's one main focus that I want to give to you tonight. I want to talk to you about the king and his kingdom. And so tonight, we're going to continue our study through the book of John. We're in in John chapter 8, and I just want to mention, I mean, sorry, 18, John chapter 18. And um, I just want to mention to you, I, know, I don't know who preached last week because I wasn't here, but um, I know last week kind of the end of the message was talking about um, Peter's denial of Jesus Christ. You know, and I, I just, I was reading a devotional actually about that very thing. And it's really interesting because Peter suffers from something that most of us suffer from, and it's called the fear of man. It's like when push comes to shove... You know, um, the fear of them finding out who he was and the fear of actually maybe going to prison or dying for his faith got the best of him. And he denied his Lord. He denied his best friend. And so I know that this is one thing that God has been working on on me too, um, to not fear man, but to fear God. And um, so I just wanted to share that with you because I feel like um, we're all capable of denying the Lord if, um, if we let fear of man get a hold of us. But tonight I want to open the scripture. Um, we're going to look at John chapter 18. We're going to go from verses 28 to 40. And before we get started tonight, I'd like you to spend some time at your tables right now. And I'd like you to discuss with each other what the Lordship of Christ is and what it means to you. So if you would just spend a few minutes at your tables and discuss what does the lordship of Christ mean to you and how do you live that out? So think about lordship 
And then think about what does that look to live it out in your life. Spend a few minutes and um, then I'll get some volunteers. So basically the reason I asked this question tonight is because at, at least I, in my own life, I don't know about you guys, but in my own life, I feel like, especially early on in my Christian life, I knew Jesus as my Savior. And I knew him as my friend. And I called him Lord, but I began to realize that I didn't necessarily obey him all the time. And for you to say, no, Lord, that's a contradiction in terms right there. He's not really your Lord if you say no. Because if Jesus is Lord then he rules, he reigns in your life. And so I'm going to, later on in the message, we're going to talk a lot about the king and his kingdom. And so that's the main focus tonight. But I just wanted you to kind of be thinking about this idea of lordship. Because really, I feel like in order for the church to move into the fullness of who God created her to be, she needs to be walking in loving obedience and surrender to him. And when she does that, I believe she will fulfill um, her purpose here on the earth. And so we're going to start with John chapter eight, um, 18. We're going to look at verse 28. Um, so if you would stand, we're going to read the first couple verses. We'll read um, John 18, 28 to 31. And um, it's up here on the screen. If you want to join me, go ahead. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. And it was early morning. But they themselves did not go to the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore Jesus uh, therefore the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And you may be seated. So actually this is a very interesting passage of scripture. And the first thing that I want to talk to you about tonight is Passover. If you'll notice, this is taking place during Passover. Now it's, it's fascinating because early on, way back in John chapter 1... Um, John the Baptist gave a prophetic word. One day he saw Jesus walking down the street and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he was prophetically speaking that one day Jesus, as the Passover Lamb, was going to die and he was going to take away the sin of the world. Well, now Jesus has been arrested and he's in front of Caiaphas and, and they're investigating him. Now, now, the thing that I love about this is if you read the, about the Passover, and you can read about it. We're, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but if you, you can go to Exodus chapter 12, and that's where God instituted the Passover through Moses. I don't know if you know the story, but in a nutshell, what, what God said to, to the children of Israel, he said, I want you to take a lamb, and it needs to be a male lamb without spot, and without blemish, no defects. And, and this lamb, um, it, it needs to be killed, and then you, you need to eat the whole thing. That, that was kind of, it, it's part of it. There's a lot more to it, but I'm not going to go into it. But anyway, the important thing is, is that the lamb needed to be without spot, without blemish, no de So you couldn't, you, you couldn't go kill one of your lame lambs 
or the, the runt of the litter, you know what I'm saying? It had, you had to offer God the best. So basically what I want to propose to you tonight is that Jesus, as the Lamb of God, is being inspected right now by the high priests. In fact, not only the high priests, but the religious leaders of those day, are, they're looking for a way to falsely accuse him. But what you're going to discover is that as he goes through this inspection, he is going to pass with flying colors. But we'll see that a little bit later on down the road. So the thing that I love about this is that um, if, you, if we look at Matthew chapter, um, Matthew chapter 26, um, verses 59 and 60, um, it says, Now the chief priests the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though they looked everywhere to try to bring some false accusations against them, they couldn't find one thing wrong that he had ever done. So basically what I'm telling you is he passed their test. Even though they tried to get people to come and lie about him and say that he did this and that, they found, no, they found basically no defects in this, lamb, in this Passover lamb. Um, the second thing that I wanted to, to share with you is that if you look at, if you look at Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 18, we're going to look at verses 28. To, actually, I, we already read that, didn't we? Verses 28 to 31. Um, actually, we're going to skip down to verse 32. So I love what if you go back to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 32 and to 34. Jesus, um, this is what he, he speaks to his disciples. This is days or maybe a week before this moment in his life. He says, and if I'm lifted up from the earth... I will draw all peoples to myself. And this he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, we have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus already had knowledge of the kind of death that he was going to die. And he said he was going to be lifted up. And so he was referring to the cross. And so then in verse, um, in John chapter 18 and verse 32, he says that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. So um, basically we see that Jesus is the Passover lamb. He knows that he's going to go to the cross. He knows that he's going to die by being lifted up. Um, but this is, the, this is kind of the, what we're going to move into now is kind of the meat of the message tonight. Because what happens is, Pilate basically says, he tells the Jews, why are you bringing him to me? Like, you go judge him by your laws. And the Jews are like, we can't, because we don't have the right to kill somebody. And basically, we want him dead, so we need you to judge him, and you need to kill him for us. And so Pilate um, is going back and forth. And so now we're going to listen in on a conversation that Jesus and Pilate are having. And so we're going to look at um, John chapter 18, verses 33 to 36. 
Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So what I want to do tonight is I want to unpack a little bit this idea of the kingdom. Because I feel like God in the last several years has really given me a fuller understanding of what the kingdom means. So, so Pilate is basically saying, are you a king? And because, because Pilate is a politician, he's a governor, he's a Roman governor, he, he's talking to Jesus about politics, basically. He's like, are you a king? And because I'm a governor and I have power and authority, you know, and I, I can do whatever I want with you. So they're having this conversation. Jesus is like, my kingdom, it's not of this world. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about the kingdom tonight. And I put up a bunch of verses on the kingdom that I wanted to share with you. And it's very fascinating to me. I remember the first time somebody shared this information with me. I was stunned. The kingdom is mentioned 155 times in the New Testament. I was astonished by that because when you read through the chapters, you don't necessarily notice that Jesus is talking that much about the kingdom. But when you start to look at it, it's, it's amazing. The church is only mentioned a couple times. Salvation is only mentioned a couple times. But the kingdom... 155 times in the New Testament. And, uh, and so I think if Jesus was preaching the kingdom and he talked about the kingdom so much, I think it's important that we know exactly what is the kingdom. And so I put up here on, on um, these, these slides scriptures about the kingdom. And so the first one is a very famous verse. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So the first thing we need to know about the kingdom is that we should be seeking the kingdom. That this, this should be our, our top priority of our life. We should seek the kingdom. And, and the second one says, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So not only is the kingdom something that we, can, we should seek, but you can actually see the kingdom manifested when a demon gets cast out of somebody. And this happens by the power of the Spirit of God. If you study Jesus' life, you saw that he cast demons out of people, and they got set free. So that was a manifestation of the kingdom. If you go to the next slide, there's some more verses on the kingdom. So not only, um, I love this part. We, um, th these verses are very important to the church. It, these are the verses on love. And it says, um, so the scribe said to him, well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth. There is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart and all the understanding 
with all the soul and, the, and with all the strength and, with all, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So when you love God with everything you are, and when you love people, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Why? Because a kingdom, um, it has a king. And a kingdom expresses the nature of the king. And in this particular kingdom, God is love. And so the most outstanding characteristic of his kingdom is love. And so when you love him and you love others, you are not far from the kingdom. Because that's kind of part of living in the kingdom. When you live in the kingdom of God, you live in the kingdom of love. And then if you go down to the next scripture, it says that um, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Because for this purpose, I have been set. So when Jesus preached, he preached the kingdom. And then if you look later on in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8, when he sent out his disciples, guess what he told them to preach? He said, and as you go saying, the kingdom of heavens is at hand or it's near. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And so you can see here that not only did they preach the kingdom... But there was a manifestation of the kingdom with healing sick people, cleansing lepers, raising dead, and even, it says, casting out demons. And so here's a manifestation. So when, these, when, when, when somebody is sick and they get healed by the power of God, that's the kingdom showing up in that person's life, in that situation. Then if you go on to Luke chapter, no, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 16. I love this. It says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So what you need to understand is not only is there a king and a kingdom, but as part of that kingdom, God has given the church. This is actually a place where he talks to the church. He gives us keys to the kingdom. And those kings are a power and authority to bind things. So there was a moment in time where I was beginning to see a lot of terrorist acts committed here on American soil. And, and guess what? Because I know these verses, I said, in Jesus' name, I bind every terrorist act that would try to be committed against innocent people in Jesus' name. I bind, and, and Father, I ask you to expose every strategy of the enemy where he would come to, come to destroy human lives. Why? Because I know that I have the keys to the kingdom. And that, those keys, they, it gives me the authority to bind some things. And I'm going to bind evil, negative things that would try to come and harm people. Because I and so you need to understand, you have keys that God has given you to the kingdom. And when you see something going on that is not okay, it's not in line with God's kingdom and his heart, you can bind those things. 
And not only that, you have the ability to lose things. You have the ability to release things. You have the ability to release blessing over this city. You have the ability to release revival over this church. You have the ability to go into a hospital and, and declare healing over the sick. Why? Because we can bind things, that means stop them, and we can lose them or we can release them. And so that's why I tell you, when the church begins to understand about the kingdom, and she begins to walk in the power and the authority that Jesus has given her, when she begins to bind and loose, she will rise up in power, and it will affect some things. It will change some things. This city will be touched because the church is operating and functioning in her kingdom power and kingdom purpose. So then if you look at... Um, Luke chapter 12, verse 32, this is the Father's heart. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He, it's his pleasure. He wants to give you the kingdom. And um, if you can, we need to continue on because it's getting late. But um, let's look at Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. It says, now when he was asked by the Pharisee when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said to them, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God, it's within you. Where is it? It's within you. How come? Because King Jesus lives in your heart. And so the king and his kingdom, it's in you. And when you understand that, that's, I, I, I actually... I understand it, and sometimes I walk in it, and sometimes I'm completely oblivious. But the cry of my heart is that every single one of us would begin to understand, wow, Jesus really lives in me. And I really do have keys, and I really do have authority, and I really do have power. And, and I really do want to do the things that he's calling me to do. And I think if we really understood that and got, got a hold of it, it would revolutionize our lives. It re would revolutionize this church. It would revolutionize this community. Because we would, go, we would go all over this community spreading love, healing the sick, bringing people into the kingdom. Man, it would um, be a beautiful thing. And that's what I'm praying for, that that would happen. Next verse, Romans chapter 14, verse 17. It says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so what you need to understand is when the Holy Spirit shows up and when righteousness is there, when you have peace or you have joy in your heart, the kingdom just showed up because the king is righteous. And, and, and Jesus, one of his names is the Prince of Peace, and he lives in you. And when he rules and he reigns in your heart, you have peace. And you can actually carry that peace into a situation. And you can bring peace into a situation where there's anxiety and chaos. Because when you allow King Jesus to rule in your heart, you can have peace in your heart. And you can bring peace wherever you go. Same thing, you can bring righteousness to an unrighteous, maybe work situation. And you can bring joy where maybe there's, there's great pain and sorrow and grief. So the kingdom is manifested. It's not necessarily a physical realm. It's a spiritual realm. And then um, 
I love what it says in Colossians chapter 3. I don't know why this, this verse excites me. It says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. And he has conveyed us. Or in another translation it says, transferred us. In another translation it says, translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So you need to understand that before you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were actually in the power, you were living under the power of darkness. You were hopeless in the world, lost without Christ. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were transferred into the kingdom of the son of his love. And that's amazing reality. So even if you don't feel like it, and even if you're having a bad hair day, you actually live in the kingdom of the son of his love. And um, my prayer is that more that we would become more and more aware of these kingdom truths. The last few that I want to share with you very quickly, because we're almost out of time. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. And again, this verse gives me so much comfort. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and fear. And I love the fact that the kingdom that we live in is an unshakable kingdom. So the stock markets can crash. All hell can break, can break loose in this world. Bad things can happen. But guess what? We live in an unshakable kingdom. And when we live in that unshakable kingdom, when, when, when things happen that are hard, we won't be shaken. Because we understand that God's in control. He's on the throne. He's got our backs. He loves us. He's going to take care of us. You see what I'm saying? And so it can bring such a sense of stability and strength to your life when you go, wow, I live in an unshakable kingdom. And even when the Twin Towers fall, and even when terrorists commit acts of aggression, and even when it's like, I can, I can have stability. I can have peace. I can live in that unshakable kingdom. And finally, um, there's this tension always in the scripture of, of uh, that we're living in the reality of something, but then there's like a future fulfillment of it. So this is Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. At, seven, it's at 15, it says, The seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So what you need to understand is that the kingdom is here and the kingdom is now. And when Jesus told, taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray this way. Father, your will be done. Your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a sense in which we live in the kingdom now. But there's going to be a moment in time in future when the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of the Lord and his Christ. And then that, when, it, when that happens, things are going to be totally different than they are today. Because then the fulfillment of his kingdom will be completely established all over. And right now we don't see the complete fulfillment of that yet. And so I love this idea of the kingdom. And I hope tonight that as we went through some of these scriptures that you got a better understanding of what the kingdom is and where it is. Because the kingdom is within you. And, and Jesus is a king. As a matter of fact, um, you know, as they're having this exchange, Pilate and um, Jesus, he says, are you the king of the Jews? 
And eventually, if you look in, um, in chapter 18, verse 37, John 18, 37, it says, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And I'm going to tell you what, look at what Jesus said. Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Yeah, Jesus is a king, and he's not just king of the Jews. In Revelation, he is called the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And in fact, it, when you read in Luke chapter um, when you read in Luke chapter 1 and verse 32, it says, He will be great. They're talking about Jesus, the infant. And he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And so he is a king. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so um, the last thing that I wanted to talk about is then, then Pilate goes into this whole thing about truth. Well, well what is truth? So if you look at verse... Um, 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him. There it is right there, no fault. He passed the tests of the chief priests, the Sanhedrin, and now the Roman governor Pilate is saying, I find no fault in this Passover lamb. You can sacrifice him because he is without fault and without blemish. But the thing that you, under, you need to understand is just like Pilate said, what is truth? We're actually living in a postmodern era, era where the people are saying truth is relative. There's this whole idea, it's called relativism. Your truth, my truth, well maybe, you know, truth, there's no such thing as absolute truth, basically, is what we're living in. But I'm going to tell you what, Jesus the word of God says that when Jesus came, it says, it says in John chapter 1 verse 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And finally, in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is an absolute truth, and his name is Jesus. He is the truth. And that's why what Ray said is so important. We have to have the truth of the word of God in our hearts so that we live our lives based on that truth, and we live, um, we live for truth. And then finally, to finish out the chapter, um, it, we're going to read uh, verse 39 and 40. It says... Um, Pilate's kind of looking for a way out, you know. He's trying to give the Jews a break, and he says, um, but, you, but you, you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release the king of the Jews? And, of course, we all know what they say. Then they all cried out again, saying, No, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And so, of course, we know the story, right? Um, they didn't end up releasing Jesus on that Passover because he needed to be the spotless lamb of God who was going to die as the Passover lamb. He was going to die as the, the, uh, the sin sacrifice, and he was going to take away all the sins of the world. And so this is like, 
his lowest moment, and at the same time, he is fulfilling his destiny that God created him to fulfill here on the earth. So um, if you would just stand, I just want to, I just want to, uh, I'm going to loose blessing over you. And so, Father, I just thank you tonight for your word, and I thank you for the reality and the promise that we can seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. So I pray that you would put a hunger and a thirst in your people to seek you wholeheartedly, to love you with everything they are. I just thank you so much, Father, for who you are and for what you're doing. And I pray that we would live in the reality of your kingdom, that we would live at, with you as Lord, that we would recognize that you are our king and that we would obey you with love in our hearts and that we would love others and that we would manifest your kingdom. Show us how to use the keys of the kingdom and how to live in your kingdom. And I thank you, Father, for this night. I thank you for your people and I thank you for the opportunity that you give us to love the world one person at a time. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.